when we come to those days, when we come to those days that we don't know whether the better days are ahead of us, that's what it's like to live without hope. And one of the things that I get up and do every day is hand out bushels and bushels and bushels of hope. That is my sole purpose in life. I'm like, come on, come on, everybody. Read one more book. Go to one more meeting. Tell one more truth. Get one more sponsee. Write one more inventory. Cry one more tear. Watch one more movie. Stand in front of one more sunset. Go do that one more time. Because as long as we are about that, then we have hope. And if we have hope, then we have all we need. Well, hello, friends of Bill W. and other friends. You have landed on Sober Speak. My name is John M. I am an alcoholic, and we are glad you're all here, especially newcomers. Newcomers, that is, both to recovery as a whole and newcomers to this podcast. Sober Speak is a podcast about recovery centered around the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. My job here on Sober Speak is simple. My job is to provide a platform to the amazing stories of recovery all around us. Consider Sober Speak, if you will, your meeting between meetings. Please remember, we do not speak for AA or any 12-step community. We represent only ourselves. We are here to share our experience, strength, and hope with those who wish to come along for the ride Take what you want and leave the rest at the curb for the trash man to pick up. Well, hello, ladies and gents. That was Brenda J's voice you heard on the beginning of this episode today. Um, I uh, have never said this before, but I implore you, um, I beg of you to listen to this entire episode from start to finish. I was absolutely blown away by Brenda's uh, story, and I know you will be as well. Uh, Brenda has been sober since uh, July 3rd of 1990. And we're entitling this episode, Do Not Be Discouraged. It will become evident while we call it, Do Not Be Discouraged, as you are listening to the episode. Just one quick uh, letter or email, I should say, from a listener. I want to get read here at the beginning of this. And Sue writes in. Sue says, hello, I am from Pensacola, Florida. Uh, I found my ways into the rooms of AA Thanksgiving of 2012. I was anything but thankful at the time. I am 64 years old now, married 45 years to a man who told me six years ago that he didn't think I could beat the drinking thing by myself. That comment is what pushed me through the doors of AA eventually. Not sure how I found Sober Speak, but I think it was in July or August this year. I think perhaps AA Beyond Belief had posted a new podcast, had not posted a new podcast for a while, and I was looking for something else to fill that blank space. I love my recovery podcast. They really do fill a need for me. I go to two to three meetings a week and could easily go to more 
Uh, there's plenty of them around here are very kind and stripe. I love the speakers meetings, but I'm very much a quote homebody and podcasts fill that niche for me. I listen while I drive, walk, do housework, knit. I subscribe to Sober Speak and Plains FM at the same time and love them both. If you're not familiar with Plains FM, it's an AA radio broadcast out of Canterbury, New Zealand. New Zealand, excuse me. Guess what? On the flip side of the world, they're exactly as unique as we are! Exclamation point. Anyway, I was really touched by Tim's podcast and by your response to him. That episode really resonated with me. I love the way you let him go on in the direction of his interests in reading and running and his living in general. It all seemed appropriate and pertinent. Thank you. Sorry if I rambled. I do that. Sue D. Sue, last initial D. Member, because I say so, of the Inner Innerity Acceptance Group of AA Pencil, Pensacola, Florida. So if you're ever visiting the Inner Arity, I hope I got that right, Acceptance Group of AA in Pensacola, Florida, say hello to Miss Sue D. And by the way, the episode she was referring there for referring to there was with Tim S. It's episode number 46. Um, it says Tim S. of Sober Nation, make it to midnight. Now, enjoy your time with Brenda. I did. Okay, everybody, so we are sitting here with Ms. Brenda J., and uh, I have been really looking forward to this conversation with Ms. Brenda J. uh, that is with us today. And uh, so, Brenda, I'm just going to go ahead and uh, back up here for a second. Number one, I'm going to let you introduce yourself, give your sobriety date, say anything else that you want to say as we get started. Well, let me tell you how very happy I am to be here with you today, and and I thank God for the opportunity that we have to, to share this time together. My name is Brenda J. I am a recovering alcoholic. I've been sober by the grace of God since July the 3rd of 1990, and I'm grateful to be clean and sober today. July the 3rd of 1990. My goodness. Uh... That's a little while. You're coming up on 30 years now. Yeah, and you know, it's very rare when someone can tell you the day they were going to die, right? But I know for a fact that that would have been July the 4th of 1990. And I know that for sure because I found you on the 3rd. Brenda and I know each other from some meetings here in the Frisco, Texas area. But we don't know each other very well at all. But I know that when I have heard Brenda speak during a meeting, it has spoken to my heart. Uh, And that's one of the biggest reasons I wanted to have her in here on this podcast. So uh, I've heard you reference, uh, and this is something I've always been kind of interested in. I, I don't do it much myself, but I'm interested in other people's ability to do this. And that is the journaling. Uh, can you tell me about your journaling, how it has helped you in sobriety, what it's meant to you in sobriety? And we'll just start there and kind of Sure, I'd wonder. love to. You know, it's funny because I, I, I've been around alcoholics long enough to know that they have a really short attention span. So for those of people who already don't want to listen because you just brought up journaling to begin <laughs> with. So like if I just have to get a message out there quick, it's the four <laughs> most important words in the book to me. And those are... 
do not be discouraged. Do not be discouraged. Do not be discouraged. And so, especially since you're going to go ahead on and mess up the thing by starting with journaling, you know, because like, so, so I could have picked a more sexy topic. Huh? You, but what's funny and interesting about journaling is that people automatically, in my experience, get turned off to that. And there's a bunch of reasons for that. It's easier to sit at a keyboard because a keyboard will allow me to engage my mind and never approach my heart. That's why I don't accept step work from the women that I sponsor that's typed. I can go get a magazine Ah. to read that, right? So like when I take a pen and I put it in my hand, the door to my heart opens. I love that. And when the door to my heart opens, there's a way out and there's a way in. Mm -hmm. A way in for God and a way out for the pain. I think that when we write, when we put pen to pencil, what we're actually doing is is creating a picture on paper of our insights. It's like a it's like developing pictures. It's like developing emotional pictures. And that's why it's been so important. Sometimes I don't know what my emotional pictures look like until I write it down on paper. And then I look at that and go, oh, I am as delicious and juicy as I thought I was. <laughs> or I look at that and go, my God, have I been to a meeting? You know, right? So there it is. And part of what makes journaling so difficult is that there's nowhere to run from the truth we find there. Okay, so let's go back, right? Where do you want to start? So w- describe to me a little bit about your your, your, your childhood growing up, you know, I don't want to go through a huge drunk log, but it just, just kind of take me through some of the basics where you came from and, and who you are, what makes you tick. I'm always very interested in people that. Well, and it's interesting because people will hear me share my story from the podium. I always say, you know, when I, when a speaker goes up to the podium and goes, I was born and I'm like, Oh God, <laughs> no, no. you lost me already. Right. Like how old are you? Right. How old is it going to take to get current? Right. And so, and so suffice to say that I was born in a little city out in West Texas and I'm one of nine. I have six sisters and two brothers. Wow. So where did you fall in that? Third from the bottom. Okay. Yeah. So, so the beautiful part about that experience is that I have in sobriety gotten a chance to grow up to be a whole bunch of things. I'm a, I'm a licensed professional teacher. I, 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 I'm a trainer. I'm, I'm a wife. I'm an, a, a thea. I'm a, I'm a bunch of things, but what was that last one? An athea? I'm sorry. Athea is an ant. Oh, I'm sorry. Yes, I'm, I'm, I'm athea to, to so many little lives so many little souls. And that's one of the best things that's happened to me is it. But the greatest thing that's happened to me and the whole time I've been sober is that I finally grew up to be my mother and father's daughter. The one that, the one that thought they were getting when they brought me home from the hospital, (laughs) (laughs) the new and upgraded version of, you know, before I went, ran out into the weeds with alcohol and left, you know, and, and so, And so being one of nine kids, I kid around about the fact that my mother and father were never able to get to the bottom of anything. 
right? Like nobody ever took the rap for anything. Because when you have that many people right. involved, forget about it. Um, I learned the most important things that I needed to know about life, being part of that tribe, being part of that family, being part of, of my clan. And, and that is that everything that we are, everything that we attain, everything that we learn in life will take us only to a certain point. And then at that point, either we have the faith to continue toward God or we will be lost. Okay, so you were born one of nine, third from the bottom, uh, and and that was in West Texas. Did you did you move around much? Did you stay there in West nope, Texas? No, I was there, born and raised there, and stayed there for the first twelve years of my sobriety. Oh wow! Wow. Okay, gotcha. And had the privilege of uh, of being my mom and dad's primary caregiver for many many of those twelve years. Gotcha. And um, and it wasn't until I got directions to move along to the next chapter of my own life that that changed. But that's where I spent the early part of my sobriety. So take me through mm. then, I guess, you know, from a kid to the to the part where you got into Alcoholics Anonymous. I know there's a big chunk of time there. But, I mean, what, what do you want to share about that? Well, not that big a chunk. I mean, like, <laughs> I mean folks can't see me, but I'm not that old. You're like, oh, God, that's got to be like 17 decades. Um <laughs> So, so the important part of all of that is that there has always been something profoundly beautiful and precious about the, the, the little kid and the woman that God created me to be. And, and when I was in my active alcoholism, that was the thing that I was afraid I was going to lose, that I was going to lose my own light, my own voice, my own way, my own experience. I thought alcohol would take that because it took everything else. Mm. And, and, and what happened was that I was 12, 12 or 13 years when I took my first drink. And I sobered up when I was 24. And people are like, God, you barely got a chance to drink. And for a long time, I'm like, yeah, it's so unfair. <laughs> Except I'd leave out that I'd been at it for 12 years. Right. And that, you know, I drank every drop I needed to, to help me to my knees. And I've worked every step and told every truth that I've needed to in Alcoholics Anonymous to help me to my feet. So ta take me to your first meeting, how you got there. I mean, what was the, the, do you remember your first meeting? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I, I come from a family where alcoholism and drug addiction is a problem. And I was looking for some place that I could go to report these people. <laughs> <clears throat> Thanks for not judging. So I found out that there was a family program at a hospital in the hometown where I was. And so I went thinking they could help me help them. Right. And I go to the meeting and I met these folks and, and they're like, well, come every Thursday. And so I'd come every Thursday and then they had a family day and I didn't have family. So I, you know, substituted as somebody's family. And, and the long and the short of that is that on the fourth Thursday, the last day of the program, they said, you want to come? We're going to a meeting. And I'm like, a meeting of what? They're like an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting. And I said, well, I'm, I'm not an alcoholic. They said, no, but there's an Al-Anon meeting across the way. And and I knew by this point what Al-Anon was. And I thought, sure, okay. And I went and I, and I watched those people from the van go into the AA meeting. And I, I went into the Al-Anon meeting. And those folks let me. 
and they waited on me and they listened to me and in very short order said to me, there's um, probably a, a seat for you in the other room. Oh. And I was as surprised as anyone really to hear that. And I remember walking into my first meeting. It was on a Friday night at seven o'clock and it was a women's meeting. And I remember literally getting to the threshold of the, of the room and I heard a voice say, I got you this far. If you're going in, you're going to have to go in alone. And I stepped over the threshold. And I can't even tell you what the topic of the first meeting was all that long time ago. The first meeting I went to, the topic was on honesty. And I very quickly decided, well, clearly these people are into meddling. <laughs> you know, I don't need this right here, you know. And, and they all invited me to come to a meeting the next morning at 11, gave me some phone numbers. I nodded my head and assured them that I would be there and then spent the entire night trying to figure out how to get out of that. And I, I had several good reasons lined up and I was going to call them as soon as morning came to tell them why I couldn't go. And one of the things that I kid about is that I was going to say, you know, my dog is sick and I'm like, crap, I'm going to have to get a dog. <laughs> Right. Like, like that's how di I didn't know what they had. I didn't know how it was different from what I had. And, and I remember sitting in my first couple of meetings and saying, God, if I'm an alcoholic, could you please just let me know that? Because if not, I'm wasting my time here. Mm. And God said to me, Brenda, you're an alcoholic. And I said, okay, that was it. So it sounded to me, so let's talk about faith a little bit here then. So it sounded to me like you had some sort of relationship with God. You had, did you grow up believing in God? Uh, um, so what, what was your relationship with God like coming into the program of Alcoholics Anonymous? I, my first two earliest memories in life, the very first one was I remember looking up at my mom as an infant and making a face and and seeing her laugh and i went oh, that's fabulous like i was an infant and registered that and the the other memory i have was of being 4 years old and i remember my first conversation with god really that's my first memory i remember being 4 and talking to god and at this point when you're in a loud house with all these people and everything's you know just crazy and I, I had decided that my sisters yelled a lot, right? Now I'm four, so everything's loud, right? <laughs> and I had decided that they yelled a lot in my house. And my very first prayer to God was, dear God, my sisters yelled a lot. Please don't let them go to hell. I want you to know that if they are going to go to hell because they are yelling, I want you to know that I'll go in their place. That was my first prayer. And very soon thereafter, because life took one of those painful, devastating, harsh turns, the way it has a way of doing, one of my next conversations to God was, never mind, I'll take it from here. Mm -hmm. And decided then from that day forward that it would be my job to take care of me and my job to protect me and my job to see to me. 
And so that was the clear and only choice I had at the age of four. And then I'm 24 years old now, 20 years later, walking in Alcoholics Anonymous. And I was spiritually dehydrated. I was within <clears throat> within heartbeats of dying, of, of ceasing to exist because alcoholism had ravished my insides. Mm-hmm. And I come to Alcoholics Anonymous and they started feeding me with one of those little droplets, the ones that hold seven drops of fluid and you put it in the side of someone's mouth and nourish them that way. And that's what I found in Alcoholics Anonymous when I got here. You talked about a harsh turn there. Do you want to dive into that harsh turn? Was there anything in particular that well, stands yeah. out? And and the sad part about where my story takes that turn is that the longer I sit in Alcoholics Anonymous, the longer I realize that so many of us have that same experience. There were adults in my life whose sole responsibility was to love me and take me to God. And they aborted that for their own good, for their own purpose, for their own selfishness. Mm -hmm. And I incurred injury as a result of that. Okay, so you're in Alcoholics Anonymous now. This is a July 4th, I guess, and we're, we're kind of starting the journey. Uh, you make it to Alcoholics Anonymous. What, were your first, what was your first year like? I mean, what do, you, what do you remember? Did you have a sponsor? I mean, how, how did all that go down? Well, I remember that I wound up at a meeting where no one looked like me, right? There weren't any 24-year-old Latin women sitting in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous where I sobered up. In West Texas. In West Texas. Correct. And I remember walking in there and thinking, you know, well, I tell this story about one of my first few meetings, they invited me to go to dinner after the women's meeting. And I'm like, I can't go. Like, what the hell? I mean, like, I can't do that, right? And and they're like, no, no, come, it'll be fine. And I remember sneaking into the restaurant, hoping that none of my friends saw me in there. <laughs> And I worked my way to the back of the restaurant where they were. And I walked into the room and there's this long table with like 12 white women. <laughs> I tell the the image of the last supper came to me and I'm like, oh my God. Yeah. And I, you know, and then I remember just being belligerent. I know you're shocked, but like there was like, I didn't know where else to go, but I didn't know that I wanted to be here. And I was already setting myself mm-hmm. apart and trying to find reasons to leave. And, and so I'd go into meetings and I'd put on my headphones for no good reason other than there's really, there's a guy there that like that pisses him off really badly. <laughs> right. And he says, look, if you're not done drinking, you need to get the hell up. You know, and I, and they weren't on. But that was not the point. <laughs> you just wanted to. Yeah. So then ruffle. I started bringing my newspaper and the meeting would start. I mean, like, that's who I was. Right. And then my, you know, and there were women there who were in the same meetings that I was. And this woman come up to me and she goes, hi, my name is Pam. You need a sponsor. And I lost. Here's my number. And I lost. Right? <laughs> I had a feeling I should be offended, but wasn't quite sure about what, right? And she gives me her number and she goes, I want you to call me. And I said, call you when? She said, well, in your case, I want you to call me anytime you have an idea. 
and so um and so she was my first sponsor and i called her every time i had an idea and i had a Pam. whole bunch of them you had a whole, a bunch, whole of ideas. bunch of ideas <laughs> you know i tell people all the time the newcomers your your problems do not scare us your solutions, however, <laughs> frighten the hell out of all of us, right? You know, it's like when I was, I'm lonely, I want to get married. I'm like, get a cat. Get um, a cat. Yeah. So, <laughs> so my first year, I remember, I remember not fitting in. Mm. I remember not fitting in and not having anywhere else to go. I remember being really skittish and, and afraid and that these men and women who were sober in that group continued to just show up as the same people every day, which was not my experience with the people in my own life. Right. And then one day I accidentally, I was just accidentally, did not mean it, was not praying, said the third step prayer in the book. I was just reading along. You know, if you're just reading along and not paying attention, you accidentally pray. <laughs> right. Right. Well, God took that as an opportunity and an invitation. And I'm like, he just jumped right on it. Right. He's like, get down there, you know. And, 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 um, and I wound up in college. Really? Yeah. That's great. No, I mean, no, I, no, <laughs> no I, I went to the rehab commission, the Texas rehab commission wanting to get a job. And the woman behind the counter is like, well, why don't you go to school? And I'm like, look, lady, you don't understand. I need work right now. Right. And she goes, yeah, but if you go to school, they pay you $50 a week or something. And I'm like, I'm listening. <laughs> right, right. You got my attention. Right. You were saying. And so that's what happened was I wound up in college and I had no idea what it you know, When they said to me, you want to go to college? I'm like, where is it? Like out of town. Right. Like, where is the place? And they're like down the street <laughs> but see you i didn't grew even know up. it was there no i grew up in the 12 block radius yeah. i grew up in a 12 block radius i had no idea that there was another part of town did many of your family members go to college none of them did wow. none of them well, all all my nephews and nieces that have sought higher education have all come after me all come after my own experience with that I would take all of them. I would get as many of them as I could get in my car and my, and my sisters would pack their lunch, right? <laughs> I have 27 nephews and nieces. Oh my and of them, 22 are boys. So I only have five <laughs> nieces, right? So I'd pack them up in the car and they'd be all excited and we'd take a picnic lunch and I'd take them to the college and I'd drive them around and then we'd get out and we'd walk and we'd look at the trees and I'd take them into classrooms and, I, and I'd say to them, you know, this, you can come here. I didn't know, but you, you, you can come here and there's a place for you. And, and then we'd sit down on the lawn and eat, and eat our lunch. And then we'd all go around talking about what our favorite part of the day was. And I have a little nephew named Joshua at the little, at the time says, I like the squirrels. I'm like, really? I showed you the entire campus. We walked 17 miles and you love the squirrels. Right. But like, I, I needed him. I needed him because I didn't want to forget about the squirrels. Right. Right. And so when my sponsor's talking, is talking to me about feelings and how to get in touch with feelings, like these were all new words. Right. And so I needed a place to practice. So I'd line the kids up and I'd have a bag of M&Ms and they'd come to the front of the line. They say, I feel happy. And I'm like, oh, that's a good one. And I'd give them candy and then they'd run to the back of the line. Right. Because we were all trying to, you know, I'm trying to teach them what I'm learning. Right. Because what we know is not working. Right. So we got to go another direction, even if we don't know which direction that is. And I had one of them come to the front of the lane. He goes, I feel Cressy. I said, Cressy? What is 
he said, yeah, Chrissy. And I'm like, I don't know what that is. Show me Chrissy. And he goes, ah, and he waves his arm and he goes, Chrissy. I said, crazy. crazy. You feel crazy. <laughs> I gave him the whole bag. <laughs> you know? I'm like, wow. You know, because like I needed somebody. Yeah. I needed somebody in my own life when I was that age to look at and say, I feel crazy. Okay. So you get a sponsor. Yeah. You're kind of walking through sobriety. What about your first brush with the steps? And I, I, I you accidentally said the third step prayer, right? Right. Yeah, absolutely. And you ended up in college, right? <laughs> Close the book. Close the book. Yeah. And so I wanted to know. I, you know, one of the biggest secrets I find folks keep early in recovery is that they read like two or three paragraphs, have no idea what it said, but don't know how to say that out loud, right? Like, what did we just read, right? <laughs> like, you can't really let them know, right? Bob Earl talks about his his big secret was that there, he thought there was something wrong with him. And then life became about not letting other people know that, right? And so we would read the book and I'd have no idea what. And so I was all about the words and what did they mean and how how do I use them? Like words became instruments, right? Surgical instruments. How do I use the word so that when it uses words in the book, like obliged and, 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 uh, juggernaut and, you know, powerless, I want to, it's an instrument to open, to open my story, to open my past, to open the way, to open it's their instruments that will help me weigh my experience, my existence, my purpose, they, they're instruments that help me measure my growth, my lack, my despair, mm -hmm. words. And, and, if, and if the steps are made of words, then the steps do the same thing. So let's dive into some of those steps. When you think about the third step in particular, right? Made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. What was that experience like for you in the beginning? What does it look like now? Just share about the third step a little bit. Well, that was one of the first times I remember being really pissed off at several members of my home group because they had this friggin' riddle thing, these riddle people. They were like, if 10 birds were on a line and five of them decided to fly, fly south, how many birds are on the line? And I'm like, five. And they're like, you're dumb. And I'm like, I hate these people. I, I didn't get it. And like, nobody would explain it. And I want you to know, because true story, the only way I ever got an answer to how many birds were still on the wire was that I like back this newcomer into a corner because she knew and i'm like look i don't look you're newer than me i don't know who gave you the answer but you're gonna cough it up right now right and and so it was a, it was a really powerful lesson about the difference between making a decision and acting like i made the decision right and so i had i can make a decision even today to turn my will and my life over to god but if i don't follow that with some action you or nor I have any idea that that actually happened, right? I can make a decision to go get a driver's license, but until I can present a driver's license, I don't have one. <laughs> so I can, I can, I can make a decision to turn my will and my life over, but unless I pr present some proof that it's better, <laughs> that I'm on my way, that I found a way out, unless I have some proof, I, all I did was make a decision and didn't follow it through with any kind of action that would give me any kind of results. 
And so at the beginning, I said to God, look, I really, like, we don't know each other real well yet. So <laughs> we're still, you know, you're still on a test drive with me. And so I'm going to trust you with like a couple things and see how you do. Now, listen, I'm desperate. I'm dying. I have no way out. I'm in, I'm in despair, but really I'm still testing God. And I'm like, look, I'm going to let you have a couple things and then I'm going to take care of the rest. So you can take care of like cancer, the common cold and Ethiopia. <laughs> you know, those kids are not looking well. <laughs> Instead of being in my business, you should be taking care of that. And I'm going to take care of my relationships, my finances, where I live and where I go. <laughs> and in a few months, I looked up. They're making breakthroughs, you know, in cancer research. The little Ethiopian kids are looking happier on the commercials. And my life is still crazy. And so like, and, but everything about my life was still a mess, you know? And so I decided to, to start with the little things. I'm going to trust you to help me get a job. And then a job appeared. Like I'm at a meeting and somebody says, we're looking for somebody to A, B, and C. And I'm like, whatever, that was just luck. Right. So then I'd give him something else. Like, and so you know, it's like everybody can tell me, God, have you tried the new Tide? It's great. And it does this. Or have you tried the new, you know, but until I have my own experience with it, it's just still recommendations. But this is how I started to have my own first experience with the, with the third step. My first experience with this new detergent. Right. And, and until, I mean, then I'm walking around, listen, then I'm walking around the rooms going, God, did you, have you guys have any idea what your life, what happens to your life if you surrender? And they're like, sit down, you know, like, I'm, you know, I'm broadcasting it like it's news, but these folks are, jeez. And so like to fast forward from that to, to knowing that the greatest act of courage I engage in every day is to surrender my life to God. It's profound. And it is, and it is the single reason I get up in the morning to get up in the morning with the sole goal of surrender is profound for me. Okay, everybody, we're going to take a little break here. Then we're going to get back to Miss Brenda. Uh, we will be continuing with Brenda in just a moment. Just a reminder, you are listening to Sober Speak. You can find us on the World Wide Web at www.soberspeak.com. There you'll find approximately 45, 50 other episodes you can listen to for free. You can also find the donate button on our website, which you can use if and only if the spirit moves you. Please keep in mind this podcast is funded by you, the listener. Sober Speak is a self-supporting organization through our own contributions. We are not allied with any sect, denomination, politics, organization, or institution. We do not wish to engage in any controversy, neither endorse nor oppose any causes. All right, now back to Miss Brenda. So another thing I wanted to ask you about, you know, we talk about uh, uh, turning points a lot within Alcoholics Anonymous. Um when you think about particular turning points in your both before sobriety and during sobriety, what comes to mind for you, Brenda? I remember sitting in my car at a park with a handful of pills, um, about 17, 18 years old. And I remember saying to God, I can't do it. I'm going to take I'm going to take all these pills and if I die and that disappoints you I want you to know I'm sorry and if I live 
I'm going to need you. And I don't remember what happened next. That was a turning point. That is a turning point. What about within sobriety? Have there been any turning points in sobriety where things just weren't working out per se? uh, And that... uh, um, something happened and it just kind of turned you around and made you walk in a different direction. I remember being 12 years sober and they should make an announcement at the meetings that when you get 12 years sober, things are going to change, right? <laughs> like, like that's the first moon cycle or something, right? <laughs> and so I was 12 years sober, a poster child. I'm going to meetings, I'm speaking at conferences, I'm writing the, I mean, everything, everything, everything. I'm cleaning up pastries, I'm all of that. I'm doing everything you could possibly do. And I am so lost and so disconnected from God and so scared of my own life that I didn't know what was going on. And I remember begging God saying, I will do whatever, whatever you want me to do. Just tell me what it is. I don't feel you. I can't hear you. I can't see you. I need you. Where did you go? What happened? Right. And I was so, and I was going to meetings and I'm sponsoring and I'm doing everything I know how to do. And I got in the car and I drove to Dallas at that point. And I said, you know, I just need to go sit in a meeting. I don't know what else to do. So I drive to Dallas and I walk into the Lambda group there and they have a speaker. And I said, oh, thank God, because now I can just sit down and relax and just know that nothing is going to be required of me. I can just sit here and be an alcoholic in an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting. The girl goes up, opens the meeting and says, by the way, our speaker just canceled. Brenda, would you like to share your experience, strength and hope? (laughs) And I almost cried. I almost cried because I didn't have anything to give him. At 12 years, with all I knew and everything I'd been and all the prayers and all the writing and all the journaling and all the word study, I didn't have anything to give those people. And I went up to the podium and I introduced myself and I burst into tears And I said to them, I don't know where God is. I don't know why he left. I don't know what happened. All I see is fog. And by the time I got done telling my story, I remember saying to those people there that day, you know what? I don't know what happened to God. I don't know where he went. I don't know if I'm ever going to find him again. I just know that there's fog. But I want you to know that I feel you, that I hear you, that I see you. And if that's all there is, from here until the day I take my last breath, I want you to know that it's enough. I want to know, like I said, I'm always curious about what makes people tick and where their turning points were and what is important to you. If you were to take your life today and I would ask you, what is important to you? Where, where do you, what do you stand on? Where, um, wh- wh- what comes to mind first for you in terms of uh, importance in your life? Without question, without question, it's about living a life that if people never pick up the book of Alcoholics Anonymous, they know God, that they can look at my life, that they can see, that they can see who I am and know God's grace. Like that is the sole aim every day. I just tell everybody, turn off the sound. Don't listen to anything I say. Watch the way I behave. 
Yeah, I was in a deli one time and this young kid was behind the counter and he says to, you know, he was waiting on me and I was asking for whatever. And he says to me after, he says, hey, it's good to see you again. And I looked over at him and I said, I'm sorry, do I know you? He said, yeah, I was at the meeting last week and you were the speaker. I said, oh, I said, it's good to see you. He says, and then he used a bad word. He said, thanks for not being an a-hole. And I'm like, what? He goes, well, sometimes you hear people from the podium and they sound one way and then you, I see them here at work and they're ex- really different, right? Yeah. And I laughed about that because the next thing that happened was I told him the truth and I said, well, son, you just caught me on a good day, right? <laughs> but, but the truth is this, like, I have to tell you that part of why I believe that do not be discouraged are the four most important words in the book is because now there's plenty of places for us to be discouraged. There's plenty of places for us. And we don't know what it's like to live without hope until we live without hope. Until we live without that thing that we knew that was going to hold us together no matter what. Until we live without that thing that says that if I do these things, I get this result. And until we learn to live without the fact that there is something better, when we come to those days, when we come to those days that we don't know whether the better days are ahead of us, that's what it's like to live without hope. And one of the things that I get up and do every day is hand out bushels and bushels and bushels of hope. (laughs) That is my sole purpose in life. I'm like, come on, come on, everybody read one more book, go to one more meeting, tell one more truth, get one more sponsee, write one more inventory, cry one more tear, watch one more movie, stand in front of one more sunset, go do that one more time. Because as long as we are about that, then we have hope. And if we have hope, then we have all we need. Amen, sister. (laughs) I'm just going to tell you, and you know what drives me crazy? Because I know that was going to be your next question. What drives you crazy? Let me just get ahead of you now. All right, I'm going to drink me some water before I get into what's driving me crazy. Take a sip. Mm. So I, as much as anybody, love the textbooks in Alcoholics Anonymous. There's a reason that 18 years after they wrote the first one, they needed the second one. Right? Right. Because <laughs> the first one got us 18 years worth of we need another book now, right? <laughs> and so they wrote both of them. So sometimes I go to meetings and they're like, we don't read out the 12 and 12. And I'm like, dummy, right? And so um, so my experience is that I need both of the textbooks, right? And so, but here's the deal, right? Like what drives me crazy and, and, and that's a, another phrase for makes me incredibly sad is the fact that now we have folks in the fellowship who take the the tools of the books and have figured out how to turn them into weapons mm. and beat the hell out of other people with them. Really? Because they're standing up at the podium go, and right here on page 27, it says, and we shall, you know, whatever. It says, and his own wishful thinking of, and that's, and then it's like, and you don't know what this book says, because you really don't know what of means. (laughs) Right, I've seen that. I'm like, stop it. Look, these books, they are the map. They are not the treasure. The treasure is God. These are the maps. So when somebody stands up there and said, this is what it says, because I said, this is what it says. All you're telling me is that you can read a map. (laughs) Sit down. (laughs) 
sit down. I don't need to know that you know how to read a map. And I really don't need for you to stand up there and tell these other people that are new that because they don't know how to read a map like you do, that there's something wrong with them. Right. That there's something wrong with their sobriety, that there's something less than about their experience here. Stop it. Mm-hmm. And I'm talking to people who've been sober a minute. Right. Mm-hmm. They've been sober a minute. They've been sober long enough to listen to that crap from somebody else and pick it up as if it's gospel. We cannot afford to separate ourselves from each other like that. That's right. Because people will die sitting in the rooms so that my ego could be sustained. Why is that not the definition of alcoholism? Other than that, I have no opinion. About that. <laughs> Shut up. Mm-mm. Hello, Mm-mm. Okay, as long as we're talking about kind of hot topics, so to speak. Let's go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm always... Okay, so I'm going to bring up this topic, religion, right? A lot, I mean, the book says we're quick to see where religious people are right. I know that people have had bad experiences with it. I know they've had good experience with it. But I always like to hear people's kind of perception of it from both coming into the program and then what it's like... Uh, in the program and that how that has changed, if at all, over time. So just in general, as long sure, as we're talking yeah. about hot topics. So I was born and raised Catholic, okay. right? And so that was my experience, right? And then... and then Were there a lot of Catholics out in West Texas? Yeah, okay. a big it's, majority. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. And so... So that was my fa- that was my familiar tribe experience, and and that was kind of where w- my first experience and introduction to God came from. And there was a lot of pinching involved because there were nine of us on the bench, and when we were cutting up, my mom would look over and wave at one of us, and oftentimes it was me. And um, and you know you'd have to take your beating by seven kids on the way there, so it was. But but the truth is is that I learned some really profoundly precious things about God in that experience. Here's, here's the deal. Like religion is like everything else that I want to use as a way to separate, right? There's nothing wrong with what the Catholic church is doing because what they're doing is working for them. I'm the one that gets to, to decide whether or not I'm buying a ticket, <laughs> right? Right. <laughs> But I can't buy a ticket every Sunday and go and then be mad that that's the movie that's playing. (laughs) I can't tell you how many people are like, you know, with a Catholic church or the Protestant, whoever, pick a church is on my list. They are on my resentment list. And I look at them and say, you know what, honey, they're not coming. (laughs) They're not coming to say, I'm sorry. They're not coming to make restitution. They're not coming to set you free. They are not coming. Now, what are we going to do? But you can pick any church, any, see what, see, look, the purpose of the exercise when it comes to churches and religion, ideally is to allow me to cultivate a relationship with God that I can live with. That's supposed to be the goal. Now, oftentimes we get derailed in that experience by either our alcoholism or their ignorance or their selfishness or their profound greed. And how is what the churches are doing to people different from those folks who are wailing about the book of Alcoholics Anonymous saying there's only one way there. Mm -hmm. Right. Exact same 
sin. That's what made me think of that when you were exact same about. sin. Mm. Those folks stand at that pulpit and say, because I read the Bible and this is what it says. We don't need your interpretation. I'm going to tell you what it says. And then I'm going to tell you what you're supposed to do because of what it says. How is that different from those book studies that you go to and people do the exact same thing? And there we are. And that is the rub, my friend. <laughs> it isn't because we go to churches and they're different from us. It's because we go to churches and there it is on display. <laughs> right? Right. But I'm going to tell you something. I, I can go to a church and find that. And there have been millions and millions of people that have gone to now sober, have a religious community that they belong to. But I'm going to tell you that if my religious experience is not bringing me closer to God and in the process, making me feel like a whole loving, surrendered, awake, purposeful woman, then we have missed the mark. I got you. I remember being in Catholic school when I was probably in the kindergarten, in kindergarten class. And sister, what's her name was up there saying, <laughs> look, you look at what you people did to Jesus, right? Like we're six. I just got here. What are you talking about? Like he's hanging on the cross. You folks did that. Right. And, and scaring me, you know, scaring the little kids. Right. And so she'd get done about how we needed to live right and all this. And then the little kids would look at me and I'd say, not God. I didn't know what she was talking about, but I knew that it was not God. Not God. And the kids are like, okay, that's not God. And I, I went to Catholic school till I was in the whatever grade. And, and, and I would often stand there and go, not God. And I can go to Alcoholics Anonymous meetings and hear some crap and go, not God. <laughs> right? And then, and then the beauty of it is that I work enough steps and tell enough truth and go to enough conferences and cry enough tears that I can look at stuff now and go, God. That's God. That's God. You know it when you see it, don't you? Or you feel it when you feel it. That's I don't know it. how to put it right. And there is no substitute. There, there is no substitute. And I'm going to tell you something. No matter what no matter what we have all experienced and survived and been damaged by, no matter what, no matter what your story is to this point, I know that there is enough God to restore it all. After 28 years, I can sit in this chair across from you and assure you that it has all been restored, that it has all been made whole, that it is all without blemish because there is enough grace to make that happen. Let's turn to a little bit of a softer subject, so to speak. Um, at least I think uh, um, you've referenced your mother and your father several times. How do you remember them? What do they taught you? What, what, do, what, what kind of memories do you have about your mom and your dad? I'm always, like I said, curious about where people came from. My earliest memory of my father was that he would wake up before any of us were awake and I would sneak around the corner of the bedroom to see my father sitting at the kitchen table reading out of his prayer book. Mm. That's my first memory of my dad. 
they took us to church. And I thought that what they were doing were taking us to church. But they took us to church because what they were really doing was taking us to God. And that was the last place they saw him, right? Like that's where <laughs> that's where they ran into him, right? So of course that's where they took us. They took us where they knew God was, right? And so my first my first memories of my parents as it comes to God, as it relates to God is that they always my mother, we I I told her that when she died I was going to put her in the Smithsonian because once we turned 18 my mother never expressed another opinion about anything we ever did or said or tried or failed at ever. Wow. And I remember talking to her one day and I said, mom, why is that? Like, why won't you just tell us what the answer is? Right. Cause she's so wise and so beautiful. And so God, my mother, my mother was, and she'd say to me, she goes, Brenda, you know, I had 18 years. I had 18 years with each of you to show you to tell you, to help you, to guide you. If you don't have it down by then, there's nothing else I can say. <laughs> and so I want you to know, let me just tell you something about this story will tell you everything you need to know about my mother and father. So there are nine of us and my father got cancer and it was, it was getting closer to the end than not. And they called us all together. So all nine of us went back home to San Angelo, my wow. hometown. Really? So... All nine, all nine of us of the children went home to, to you, see my parents because my father asked for us. Alive, yes, right? they were oh, both wow. still alive. And they asked for us and we all went home and we all sat around the living room. And my mother and father brought us together and said to us, we wanted you all to come today because it's getting closer to the end now for, for my dad. And they said, we wanted to come we wanted to come apologize to you. And we were all like, what? And they said, we wanted to apologize to you for bringing you into this life of suffering because we never had the money to give you all the things that you deserved. We never had the money to to buy you new clothes and to help you get cars and and we feel like we brought you into a life of suffering. And we wanted to tell you how sorry we were that we had done that. And we were, we were just all filled with tears at the fact that, that these two people, after having sacrificed their entire beings to get us to the point we were at, felt it necessary to apologize for any of it. And each of us in turn spoke to my mother and father about the things that we had gotten from them, what we had indeed received. And I remember what I said to them. I said, Mom and Dad, you have both shown us at every turn by your example, your words, your own surrender, that as long as we keep our eyes on God, all will be well. There is nothing you could have bought us to give us that. That's right. That's, that's the God I found. 
And I'm going to tell you something. On days when my heart fills with compassion, on days when I am so full of hope, I can hardly contain it. On days when I am certain that forward with God leading us is the way out of everything. On those days, I want you to know that I know that I have within me the very best of my mother and the very best of my father. And there are days when I have that. So you mentioned there all nine of you had come back to watch your father pass. How long was it before when you got back to when he actually passed? Yeah, so I got a call on my way to work. I was living in Dallas as a school teacher, working as a school teacher. And I um, I got a call um, that I should go home to San Angelo. And so I, I turned around, went home to pack a bag and called my job. Now, I had just started at this job late because of when I moved to Dallas. And I had just started late and... I started that job in September, the end of the middle of September, and this was November second that they called. So I called him and I said, "I can't come to work. I've got to go home. Something's wrong with my dad." And we all went home. We all went to San Angelo, all of us again. And 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 I would, my dad was sick, and I knew that the end was coming. But I had just started this job, and I'd say to him, "I said, Dad, I'm gonna I'm gonna go back to the to work for the week, and then I'll be back on the weekend." And my father would look up at me, and he'd look me in the eye, and he goes, "Don't go." So I'd call work and I'm like, I can't come. I said, I, and, and then like, they're like, Brenda, we can't hold your job for you. You just, and the lady said, well, she goes, I guess I can send you the paperwork for the family medical leave or something. And she goes, I don't know if you'll qualify because you haven't been. And I said, just send it. So she sent it. We filled it out. So that was the first week in November. And my dad died on Christmas Eve. And uh, he died with me rocking him reciting how it works I didn't have anything else to give him I I didn't know what else to say so I put my I put my my hand on his eyes to close his eyes and I rocked him back and forth and said rarely have we seen a person fail who has thoroughly followed our path until he died and I stayed there long enough to to bury him and and I went back to Dallas and the semester was gonna start. And I remember driving back into Dallas and I reached in my pocket and I had a dime, two nickels, no, a dime, a nickel, and three pennies. That's all the money I had in the entire world. Eighteen cents. And I remember driving in on I seventy five and I said to God, I have eighteen cents. And I went to work the next day, and it was payday. And they gave me two full months paychecks. And I thought, well, I could just pay my rent so I don't get thrown out and then tell them later that there was some sort of mistake because I wasn't here, so I shouldn't have gotten paid. And I'm like, really, Brenda, when are you going to have this kind of money to give back to them? Go take it to him and tell him that. So I called him and I said, I got two months worth of pay and I didn't work. And I was, and she's like, no, the records show that you should have gotten paid. And I'm like, look, I'm coming over there to give you these checks because I don't want them. They're not, I didn't work. 
I'm, I'm not spending them. So, and I needed the money, right? Like, how do you do that? Right. <laughs> how do you give them back money? They don't want, but you know, it's not yours. So I drove down there and I gave her the checks. She goes, sit down a minute. Let me look at something. So she comes back, I don't know, an hour later and says, okay, I figured out what happened. And I'm like, what? And she hands me the checks and she says, the people at your school, the janitor, the secretary, the principal, the all donated their personal leave days <laughs> to make up for mm. two months worth of work for you. <laughs> wow. Wow is right. <laughs> Absolutely. You're a special lady, Miss Brenda. And what you all cannot see, and I've seen Brenda do this before, you can't see it on the podcast. Brenda has a little uh, kind of namaste hands that she does. Uh, I don't know exactly what that does, but I think it helps you to get centered. Uh, and um, I have thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed our time together. Is there anything else you want to tell the audience about yourself or your experience or any way that you want to talk to the newcomer, somebody coming into the program before we depart here? So, so putting my hands together in front of my heart and bowing is my way of acknowledging that something holy exists here. That something precious and profound has entered my space. And, and so I do that when I greet people. I, I do that when, they, when they're kind and they say they love me and that they love my words. And, and I bow before them because something holy has happened. And I don't think I should walk around ignoring that. And I want you to know that, that when you talk about what, do I, what else do I want to say, what I want to say is stay, stay. I'm not afraid to tell you how good it gets here. Now, I was one of those people that said, well, as soon as I have this amount of money or as soon as I have this job or as soon as I have lived in that house, as soon as I have all that, then I'll be comfortable and I'll be okay. I am here to report that as of today, I don't have any money. I don't have any wealth. My car is older, three days older than Jesus in Bethlehem. <laughs> and I want you to know that I have everything I need. I tell my friends all the time. They're like, Brenda, geez, how do you get, how do you get around with no money? Right. And I say to them, look, I am a child of God and all the money belongs to God and I belong to God. So all the money belongs to me. All the planes belong to God and I belong to God. So all the planes belong to me. Somebody else gets to keep it at their bank account, but it's mine. <laughs> and so here's the thing, like it's, I'm unencumbered. Like I, like I'm here to report that you cannot have money, not have your great job, not have, and, and be completely whole and be completely happy and be completely full of love. And so I want you to know that if you're desperate and you plugged into this podcast expecting something else and got me, God help you. <laughs> but I'm going to tell you that it is good here, that it is good here, that there is God here, that there is hope here. And I have this thing that I read all the time. Are you ready to close? Cause no, no, we... no, no. You go for it. No, I'm good. I hate it. I hate it when you stopped in the middle to do your little commercial. I'm like, oh, I have so much to say. We're at the middle already. <laughs> my God. But here it says, still more wonderful. 
is the fact that we need and not this is be, from the 12 and 12 yeah, the, right yeah what page? we'll get to that in a okay minute. i'm sorry because see that's what people do they get all involved where is that where is that right and then they don't hear it they don't receive it because they're like what page i got to be on that page you ain't got to be on that page you just got to sit right there and let god speak to <laughs> just you just listen just let god talk to you and says still more wonderful is the fact that i need not be distinguished from my fellows to be profoundly happy and useful and then it says this service gladly rendered obligations squarely met troubles well accepted or solved with God's help the knowledge that at home and in the world outside we are partners in a common effort the well understood fact that God's that God's sight that in God's sight all human beings are important the proof that love freely given surely brings a full return the certainty that we are no longer isolated and alone in self-constructed prisons the surety that we need not be square pegs in round holes but that we fit and belong in God's scheme of things these are the permanent and legitimate satisfactions of right living for which no amount of pomp and circumstance, no heap of material possessions could ever substitute. True ambition is a deep desire to live usefully and to walk humbly under the grace of God. Do not, do not be discouraged. Do not be discouraged. Go pick up your 12 and 12 and find that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> True ambition. <laughs> well, once again, uh, I got to tell you, uh, recording you has been a pleasure. Mm. But I can tell you from a technical standpoint, because your voice is at a whisper sometimes, and then you're like Martin Luther King at other times. <laughs> It's fun to watch the little dials go up and down, that up and down. That happens to people, too, when they listen to me, right? Their little dial goes up and down and up and down, and they get done listening to me and go, holy God, I need to lay down, right? That's the beauty of it, right? That is the beauty. Uh, All right, so once again, uh, if you need to uh, get in touch with either Sober Speak and or Brenda, uh, send us an email. Uh, we are at feedback at soberspeak.com, or you can go to our website, soberspeak.com, click on the contact us tab, and there is a little microphone icon, and you can actually leave us a, a message, and we'll play it, assuming it's uh, PG rated, uh, we'll play it on the air, and so... Um, that's about it. We're going to wrap up here in a second, but I think Brenda wants to say something before we uh, wrap up here. I just wanted to say that if you leave a comment or leave a message and you need me to get in touch with you, I promise that I will answer every single message you send. Yeah, and I'll get that to her immediately. I'll get that to her immediately. So uh, it says on page 164 here, abandon yourself to God as you understand God. This is 164 of the big book, by the way, Alcoholics Anonymous. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit. And you will surely meet some of us, such as Brenda, Brenda. 
(laughs) and myself, hopefully, as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then. Once again, Brenda, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. God bless.